die Botschaft bracht, dass sein Herzliebchen im Sterben lag. Da ließ er all sein Hab und Gut und eilte seinem Herzliebchen zu. Hi everyone, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This week is a Mike pick, so I'm just going to drop it on you. What are we doing, Dan? We're doing Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory from 1957, directed by Stanley Kubrick. This is a movie that I knew that I liked. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I watched it. I texted you, Dan, to just put it on immediately. And about a week later, you texted me back. So I'm thinking that you're a thumbs up, but I don't know what your overall take is. So in part one, since we always do that, why don't you let me know what you thought of the movie? Well, of course, it's a thumbs up. Absolutely. And we have to give credit to a couple people here. Um, you know, Stanley Kubrick wrote the screenplay with Calder Willingham and Jim Thompson, the pulp novelist, but also it's based upon a novel by Humphrey Cobb that came out in 1935. And I tracked the novel down and I read it in preparation for rewatching the movie. And this is a movie everybody likes. There's a lot of great things to say about it. We'll get into that. But I wanted to just open with something I learned from the novel, which is that, and the movie is very, very faithful to the novel, except in one respect we'll talk about later. But one thing I learned is that when the novel came out, Humphrey Cobb got some criticism by saying something like this could never happen. And it turns out that this is based upon a real chain of events. In April of 1915, I just want to let everybody know this. So you have the fifth company, this, this French infantry unit, they're commanded to attack a German position. And the fifth were like known as these, like the, the bravest of the brave. The German machine gunners kill almost everyone. The trenches are filled with bodies. The French officers give a command, you got to go over the top, but nobody moves. Because if we go over the top, we're going to die. So afterwards, the commanding officers meet and they decide that representatives from the whole fifth company should be taken before a council of war and have the summary court-martial. And they were, they were supposed to have many more guys. Five get chosen by lottery. So in the movie, like one of the guys is chosen by lottery. Five get chosen by lottery, one from each squad. They were killed by firing squads. The widows of the five soldiers fought this in court to clear their names. That ended in 1934. Finally, their names got cleared and each of the wives was awarded, or I'm sorry, two of the five wives were awarded seven cents. That is a true story. That is unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, I'll tell you my take, which is that it never crossed my mind for a second that this could not have happened in real life. That criticism would never have occurred to me. So, but I didn't, I didn't know any of what you just told me. Yeah. A hundred percent. So it's kind of funny that this film is built and I've seen it. I've probably seen, I don't know, eight or 10 times in my life, but it's, it's kind of billed as this anti-war film, but it's not really like as much of an anti-war film as it is an anti like humanity film. I mean, it's one of the most profoundly cynical movies Right. Like you've ever seen, like Jonathan Swift would watch this movie and say, you guys got to dial it back a little. Yeah. The, and it, it doesn't necessarily start in the battle scenes either. It starts in the conversations yeah. between the two generals right. about attacking this position in the first place, which, of course, everybody knows is absolutely nonsensical, but it's got to happen on paper. So it's got to happen in real life. Yeah. In the book, it's called The Pimple. But in the film, it's called the anthill. And that's a great thing too, right? Like, what does it mean to take the anthill, right? Well, we've already told everyone that we've taken it. So now we actually have to go do it or we'll look like morons. And, and but of course, it's like this, it, it, they become like Sisyphus and not like Albert Camus Sisyphus, where you find a joy in your labor. This is absolute punishment Sisyphus. 
So what else do you have for overall? Yeah, I'll, I'll steal a, a bonus moment. That's that's not really a moment, which is when Kirk Douglas shouts in the middle of the fake court that there's no stenographic record being kept of the trial at all, because it really is about the dramatization of people that are supposed to be numbers that are supposed to be ants on a hill and and what it's like for them when they're when they're trapped in the barn. But that perspective does not give you as a viewer any relief. In fact, it heightens the pain. And I think that that's in general, in essence, how the film operates, right? Because again, when you pick three people by lot, you by definition don't care who they are. They're not being punished for a specific sin that they committed. They're they're taking on the, the sins of the general population as a whole. And they might as well be just as nameless, just as faceless as if they had literally been chosen by random as if you had spun around, which there's there's something there with like the chaos of World War One and the introduction of machine guns and and all these things and technological advancements that made for horrible mangling chaos there. There's there's something there, but it's it feels so absolutely familiar. Anybody who's anybody who went to a major state college and tried to get their major changed or register for a class uh, I think understands the basic principle at work. It's like trying to storm the anthill. And you just said it's about these people who have to take upon, you know, have to suffer for the sins of other people. But gee, well, that's a familiar story, right? Where we heard someone's going to suffer for the sins of others. And there's actually three things at the end where they're all standing at the end before they get killed. And I, I think the thing that makes that narrative tolerable in general is is you understand the the ending of that narrative arc. But this is this is like the Christ story. Uh, if you if it went through a blender of Kafka, of just right, there's absolutely no resolution. Right, you've been at the door of, of judgment the whole time, and then literally the guy's office door closes at, at, at the end of this movie. And so I, there there's certain principles at work that should make you feel better against like taking these unidentified men, these men that are just numbers, and then hearing their private pains that some they're not going to see their wife and children you know, um, their decision to either accept or reject a blindfold. There's certain things that should be humanizing, but the humanizing principle makes it worse. It makes the movie hurt more until it becomes intolerable. And then instead of becoming tolerable, it just ends. The humanizing principle of Christ on the cross saying, I thirst, right? That that has a certain reaction. But here, it, it's, it's almost like it's they're not so much Jesus Christ as they are Joseph K., yeah, they are Joseph K. And that's that's what uh, I think that that's the the whole principle behind this movie. It, it hurts until the point when you couldn't bear it. And then it goes for 10 minutes more and then it ends. I I, I struggle to think we, we all we talk about on the pod movies that are stomach aches that are just kind of a continuous nausea, which um, we love. Yeah, it's it's a subgenre that's like but this is this is totally different. This is one of the yeah. bleakest movies we've ever done but it feels so real that you can't help but but watch and two and two things to, to make that happen first of all let's just put this out there and, and let's feel let's feel let's let's reflect on our own lives for a moment kubrick was 28 when he made this movie so the, uh, we're going to let all the viewers, let the, all the listeners let that sink in. Think about what you were doing when you were 28. Uh, what did you do? I, I made Pants of Glory. So that's that's so humbling. The second thing is that technically, right, um, did you see 1917? It came out maybe a year or two yes. ago. Yeah. So everyone, you know, everyone went gaga because the whole movie's like one long tracking shot. 
the tracking shots in this are so much better when you when that's following Kirk Douglas walk in the trench because they're they're limited. In 1917, you can't get over the I at least I couldn't. People loved it. I couldn't get over the gimmick. I was paying so much more attention to the gimmick than the story. But I think here those moments where Kirk Douglas is walking through the trench are more powerful because they're contained and they, they don't go on for the entire movie and the gimmick doesn't take over. And that that the that movie 1917 offers you so much relief. And this there in this movie, there's uh there's no relief. This this is like if um all along the watchtower uh became a movie. I was just gonna say that. All right, see you in part two. Okay, welcome back. So in part two, of course, we always talk about our favorite moments or our key scenes. Dan, I think yours is before mine. Well, mine is mine is almost like a plot contrivance uh there's a scene there's a couple scenes within the middle of the film but i want to talk about how the three guys get chosen and this idea that the film the film goes beyond it transcends just some kind of quote-unquote statement about war like we all know war is bad but war is a lot of things right here this idea that like how these three guys are chosen and and how does the universe or how do we perceive the universe working against us right so you think how these guys got chosen you got a very universal tale here one of them is chosen because his CEO went to school with him and didn't like him. Like, I never liked you. This is my revenge, right? One of them is because the CEO thinks he's a degenerate. And that's Timothy Carey. And the third one is chosen by lottery, like in the real events. And side note, in the book, it happens twice. They make all the guys, they give all the guys a number from like, say one to a hundred. And then they pick out the first number. And the number is like, um, the number is 86. And then someone goes, wait a minute. How do you know it's not a 98? And they have this big argument, so they have to do it again and put lines into them. So the guys have to live through it twice. But what's great about that 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 plot device is that that's what the universe feels like sometimes. You're caught up in this faceless bureaucracy, this Kafkaesque scene you talked about, and and death comes out of the blue because someone you offended someone a long time ago, or someone doesn't like the way you look at them, or blind chance. And I think that it makes this like you know how, how these three guys go through a, a, a terrible but also universal experience. And my moment is when the CEO who chose him because he, he knows that he threw that grenade puts offers him the blindfold. And you can tell that he's sorry, but it's too late. And I, I, there, it was one of those moments. It could break the whole film, right? He walks up to him. He says, he's sorry. It's not too late. He says, I know it's okay for, for whatever reason. And then they got like, I, I'm at peace with it. There's no peace with it. There's no peace with it. It's it's beyond. He's still alive. He's not dead yet, but he's going to be dead in about five minutes. And it's too late for any kind of reconciliation whatsoever. What's what's done is done. And now we both have to just sit here and live with it. And there's there's no reckoning or apology that can be made for it. It's just like the the absolute worst kind of meaninglessness and and. That's what it is. It's not just human meaninglessness. It's like, I can say what I want to with words, but there's nothing behind the language that can affect reality. And again, I don't, I don't know a movie that really goes into that, that level of bleakness. And it's usually, it's typically not allowed in Hollywood. You know, I, there's, there's a big redeeming gimmick in 1917 that I won't get into, but that's, that's what pops the bubble of the movie um, you know, beyond the gimmick. Uh, and there's there's nothing like that in Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory is like a poker stare down and the movie just raises every round and you you finally call and it's like, okay, I'll follow you just this far. And then the movie raises again. And then 
by the the time that it's done, it's like neither of us has a hand and the game's over. When he apologizes, that fake apology, that meaningless apology you just spoke about, that's like when people say, I'm sorry this happened. Right. That's not that, which is a much different than saying, I'm sorry. So he can't go all the way. Right. I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, what does that mean now? But people will kind of weasel out of an apology. What do you have to admit an apology? But by then, who cares? It's too late. I can't be safe while you're alive. I'm going to be relieved in five minutes and you're going to be dead and you're never going to see your wife or kids ever again. Okay. Welcome back. So in part three, we always talk about the title the ending or the key takeaway. There's a lot to unpack here. Dan, why don't you go first? The title, first of all, comes from Thomas Gray, as you know, you know, the paths of glory lead, but where, where do they lead Mike? To the grave? To the grave, right? Which I, someone told Humphrey Cobb about, he didn't have to think of that title. So some editor thought of that, it's a great title. But what I want to talk about is the ending because the title self-explanatory. So let's talk about Kubrick's endings. You know, the ending of The Shining is better than the ending of the book, the novel, as is everything in the movie. The ending of A Clockwork Orange's film is better than the original ending of A Clockwork Orange where Alex gets redeemed. That's true. I was cured all right. That's the end, done. The ending of Full Metal Jacket, I am in a world of shit, but at least I am alive when they sing Mickey Mouse. Great, great ending, right? I haven't read the short timers, so I don't know if that's a variation on it. You said earlier, this is a movie that's like B plus, you know, B plus, A minus, blah, blah. I think this movie loses points because of the ending. The book ends with the firing squad, that's exactly where the movie should end. Now, far be it for me to criticize the Divine Stanley, but but just, just hear me out on this. The scene in the bar is meant to make the movie, quote unquote, anti-war. The movie, would, when he pinches the guy's cheek to make him wake up for the execution, that's what Pants of Glory is about. To have the scene where the woman sings at the end, that's Kubrick pulling his punches. That makes the movie be about what happened with these corrupt people at the top and not, you know, not the common soldier. And I think that it makes the it makes the book, I'm sorry, it makes the story sentimental. It, it, it gives you a clear villain in the book. Everyone, the, the whole bureaucracy is the whole human race is is at fault. Here, though, you can locate it. Like in the book, Dax, the guy that Kirk Douglas plays. He doesn't give he doesn't give a speech right at the end of t- the movie he tells off the generals we're told that general moreau the guy that you know fired on his own guys will be ruined right so the movie is about how all these people at the top are corrupt kirk douglas is our man who's going to fight the corruption he's going to be he's going to be jimmy stewart and mr smith goes to washington and he's going to be our good guy but i think the movie would retain its its chilling effect by cutting that scene at the end because it, it sentimentalizes what we've seen i i, I think that that's a misreading of the ending because when they, when they push the German girl out on the stage, it's very clear that the French soldiers only have revenge in mind. What they want to do... Not when they start weeping. Yeah, well, what they want to do is get drunk and pull her apart. And what the movie says is just like the apology is language without meaning, if there's any comfort available in the universe, it's in a language that you do not understand. Because she she doesn't sing to them in French and they weep. She sings to them in German and they sing along in in French in a in a song that that they know, but they can't they can't radiate on the same wave and they're going to be in hell in like 12, 16 hours. And that the, the countdown is on. So it makes the common man soldier out to be a pack of ravening wolves, and they're they're silenced by some kind of uh by some kind of nursery rhyme. They're either dumb children. Uh, or they're absolute animals. Um, I feel no. I feel no sentiment. You don't want to be in that bar 
You don't want to be having a drink, uh, cl- clinking glasses with these guys. Kirk Douglas doesn't interrupt them because that's like the that's like the very special tender moment at the end. That's what makes it an anti-war movie. Like, look at these poor guys are going to be in hell in ten minutes. He, why doesn't Kirk Douglas interrupt the them? other? He's- the other guy's going to be in hell in ten minutes because he's he just he's tired. Uh, he's tired of giving their awful orders. Them singing, don't you think that the end of that movie is, oh, you know, but like, look at these, these poor, like when you come down to it, you know, we're all just human beings. No, because they were, they were 100% going to pull her apart. They were going to pull her apart, but they don't because it's the music hath, hath charms to soothe the savage breast. No, because they're, because they're all uh, booze dazed and, and tired. There's, there's, no, there's nothing they're weeping at the beauty of the song. She wins them over. That's a common, that's supposed to be, look at the German and the French. When you come right down to it, gosh, we're all people. She's, she's singing them to them in a language that they don't, that they don't understand. They're, they're crying. They do understand. They sing along with her. They sing along with her in their language that they, they don't, I mean, they sing along with them in, in their own language. Clearly they know the words of the song though. It's not like she's singing a song and they're looking at each other, asking each other, how does the song go? They, they know how the song goes. It unites them. It's a unifying scene. Their unification is not even, uh, is, is not even a shred uh, of, of comfort. No way. Why not end it with the, why not end it with the, with the firing squad? That's exactly how the book ends. And Humphrey Cobb had it right. It's, it's a tacked on ending to give you the, the fortune cookie that war is bad. It doesn't, it doesn't say war is bad. It, the whole the whole movie said the whole movie says humanity is gross and disgusting. But the end but the end is that the whole point of the movie is that the wicked, quote unquote, the wicked people that engineered this plot, the two corrupt generals, they're going to be punished. Kirk Douglas is going to see to it. That, but in the book, like everything just keeps rolling along. I don't think that you can get that from the conversation of the soldiers as he walks through the trenches. I don't think that you can get that from uh, the 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 sergeant commanding officer who blows up his own guy with a grenade. Uh, I don't think you can get that from uh, the guy who gets drunk and runs himself into a wall and has to be, and has to be propped up in the bed. The commanding officers do it, but that, that scene in the pub is supposed to be the, you know, the common man, you know, the, the you know, the common guy they're there. You know what it is? You know what it is? Cause I know you'll know this line. It's King Lear. Like flies are we to the wanton gods. They kill us for their sport. And that's exactly what Patsagori becomes. They kill us for their sport. All right. Well, I I think that that is a I think that's a deliberate misreading. No way. Yeah, I deliberately misread it for the sake of the podcast. How could you not think that them singing that and them weeping as they sing? Why are they weeping as they sing? How is that not sentimental? They're all full of drink and uh and they're it's 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 a bunch of children is what it is. It's a bunch of children. Correct. Correct. And these poor innocent children have to be killed. But but not but not but not it but not innocent children. They're 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 not innocent children at all. Well, they certainly seem innocent there, not knowing they're about to get sent to the front, singing a song. What do what do kids do? They sing songs. They're innocent. They're absolutely, they're, they're lambs before the slaughter. How many illusions do I got to make here? I got I got the Bible. I got King Lear. They're lambs to the slaughter. Well, let me say this. You know, at the end of the book, here's here's what I mean. Here's how the book ends. The book ends, and I'm going to mangle the French with with the the sergeant major has to go around and put a bullet into each guy's head just to make sure the firing squad did its job. So it says about the Sergeant Major, it says, it must be said that he had some instinct for the decency of things. There's a loaded phrase. For when he came to Langlois, one of the guys, his first thought and act was to free him from the shocking and abject pose he was in before putting it into any life that still might be clinging to him. His first shot was therefore one that deftly cut the rope and let the body fall from the post to the ground. 
the next shot went into a brain which was already dead. That's how you end this story. The next shot went into a brain that was already dead. The end. I don't know. I, I I agree with Kubrick, and I would have left it the way it is. Well, okay. Well, you and Stanley can have a, have a big big laugh on me. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Paths of Glory. You could follow us on Twitter at one five min film. You could also follow us where Mike Letterboxed and post some post some reactions to what you heard today. One of us is right. Let us know who. See you next time. <laughs>